It's great to see you guys uh, here at Battlefield. Great to see you uh, folks that are with us online. Let me just build off a little bit of what Brad was saying. Pastor Brad was talking about the Fall Fest this Wednesday night, which we are excited about. And he made a statement uh, as far as your kids' dress, not to wear anything scary. Uh, and so let me just kind of, some people ask, like, what is too scary? Can help us with that. Like, if you bring your kid in a University of Alabama Crimson Tide football outfit, it's too scary. Don't do that. Like, we don't want to see that. Like, it brings a lot of bad stuff up from the weekend. So just stay, stay away from that, for starters. So, yeah, it was, it was tough. Yeah, yesterday, um, my wife's a big Alabama fan, so we're getting ready to watch the game. One of my boys is an Alabama, my youngest son's a big Alabama fan. My oldest son is a Tennessee fan. So my grandson's there with us, you know, and he's there. And he said, Pop, Pop, should I be for the red team or the orange team? I said, buddy, I want to talk to you. I said, I, 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 want you to, I want you to be happy. I don't, I don't want you to live life the way I've lived life, and, and, and I, don't, I don't want you to have to go through all that I've gone through. I, I think you should be for, the, be for the red team. And my oldest son was like, why didn't you have that talk with me? I said, I, I didn't know. It was pre-Saban. We had no idea what was going to happen like this. But MTSU students, big win for the Blue Raiders yesterday. That was big. Yeah, so... My second team, you know, that was good. I'm watching the game. Like, I, I'm watching the game. At the end of the MTSU game, it looks like they're going to lose. And I'm like, I think it's me. I'm Jonah. Like, throw Jonah from the boat. And, and, and Rice, if you didn't see this yesterday, you should have seen this. This is spiritual. Rice is kicking a field goal to win the game, to beat MTSU. And I've never seen this before. The field goal hit the field goal post four different times, hit the crossbar to the right, to the left, to the middle twice, and then dropped off in front, MTSU win. So it was like miraculous yesterday, right? So it was good. So they saved the day yesterday. Man, we're glad you're here. If you're watching online, we're excited that you're here. If you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, uh, we are studying through this amazing book, this book of Exodus, and we're just uh, we're going verse by verse through it in a podcast uh, every single day. We've got 17 messages. We're coming to kind of the, the towards the end of this series, 17 messages and uh, we have said that if you hang with us and you do all the podcasts, you come and listen to the messages, that what we're going to offer is the equivalent of a master's degree in the book of Exodus. And so you can get that in the New Vision Institute here. I just made that institute part up. But anyways, and so in order to get that master's degree, we thought, let's do a final exam. And so we have, uh, Pastor Joseph has written a final exam. So we got, a, we got an actual exam on Exodus that you, you can take. I, I took it this week. I, I didn't I didn't do great, I want to be honest with you. I could have done better. I'm not that great of a test taker, but I hope for better things for you. And I will say this, that like if you're a college student, like I remember this when I was in college, that the professor said, hey, something that we're going to talk about today is going to be on the exam. You just really listen. And so I can promise you that something we're going to talk about today is one of the questions. So we're going to look at, uh, starting in verse 8, this is an amazing story, great story. It has so much traction, it has so much play for our life today. So I hope you'll be encouraged by what we're going to take a, take a look at. Uh, we find the children of Israel now in Exodus chapter 7. If you've been uh, with us, they have come out of, God has brought them out of captivity in Egypt after 430 years. God has used Moses in this amazing way. And the, the army of Egypt has been destroyed. The Red Sea closed in on them. And so now the children of Israel are headed to the promised Land. Now, we saw last week there's some complaining that they have uh, there. And then today they faced another obstacle in verse 8. Uh, it's going to be another battle, but this time they're literally going to, have to, going to have to fight. And so we're going to look at that. But here's what I want us to, to look at. Here's a lens for how we're going to look at this passage today. I've entitled this message, Upping Your Leadership Game. Because I think if you're breathing, you're a leader. It's not are you a leader, it's what kind of leader you are. 
right? Because leadership is about influence, and we're all influencing someone or multiple people. And so I, I know you're like me. If I'm a leader, I want to be a better leader, right? I want to up my leadership game. If God can show me something that's going to help me lead in my home, on my campus, in the workplace, you know, with my family, extended family, whatever it is, I want to be a better leader. So we're, we're going to see that today. So let, let's pick up Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 8. The scripture says this, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now, this is interesting. So here's the children of Israel. They're journeying to the promised land, and they come under attack. And now it's interesting. Deuteronomy chapter 25 tells us a little bit more about this attack. The Amalekites, which, by the way, you might say, well, who were the Amalekites? The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. And you say, well, that doesn't really matter. It does. If you go back to the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, Abraham, Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And so if you remember that story, Jacob really steals the blessing or the birthright from Esau, which caused a huge rift in the family. And so the Amalekites are actually the descendants of Esau, and they did not get over this. Something was taken from them, and for almost a 1,000 years, they are still bitter about it. And when they have a chance for retribution, man, they are coming after the children of Israel right? And it wasn't the, wasn't the smartest move in the world, but they're, they're coming after. That's who the Amalekites were, right? And so it, it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 25, because the Bible uh, always, uh, if you want clarity, Scripture answers Scripture. Scripture will give us greater clarity. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, it tells us that how the Amalekites attacked, and they attacked the children of Israel from the rear. And what we know is the, in the back of this party that was traveling through the wilderness, that would have been where the elderly were. That would have been where the pregnant were. That would have been where the children were. The weakest in the tribe would have been in the back. And the Amalekites come and they attack them from the back. Now that, I mean, that's just evil, isn't it? Like when you launch an attack and you, you kill children, you kill women, pregnant women and elderly people who can't really take care of themselves, that is just pure, pure evil. And the Amalekites' attack is in some ways sort of a picture of the way the enemy is constantly attacking us, and he's attacking us in our weakest points and, and places, so we, we can see that. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, you might underline this, this is the first time Joshua is mentioned in the book of, of Exodus, and Joshua is going to be like a central figure in the book of Exodus. Don't want to spoil it. He's going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Now, at first glance, if I'm Joshua, I'm like, let's go over that again. Like, here's the Amalekites, and you want me to go out and fight, and you're going to do what? You're going you're gonna to stand on top of the hill? Why don't I stand on top of the hill, Moses? Why don't you, as our leader, go and fight the Amalekites? But there's really a lot here. There's a lot that I want you to see that can really help you as a leader, and we'll break that down. So Joshua, and by the way, this is just, this is just free the name Joshua means uh, Yahweh saves or God saves in the, in the Hebrew, in the Greek, it is uh, Yeshua. It is the name that uh, Jesus, our, our Messiah, that was, that was his name. It's the same exact name there, which is kind of inter interesting. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur. Now, uh, who was Aaron? Aaron was, was Moses' brother, we know. Her, m most believe that her was Moses' uh, brother-in-law. And by the way, her is an unfortunate name for a, a guy, isn't it? I mean, that has nothing to do, but it's just like her. I, I don't know. I mean, anyways, I, that's just me. 
Moses, Aaron, and her, if her truly was his brother-in-law, then he married Moses' sister Miriam, who Moses' sister Miriam was older than Moses. So just so you can get a little perspective here of this story, you have an 80-year-old old, old guy in Moses. Uh, you have Aaron, who is older than that, and you, you have her, who is most likely older than that. And so they go up to the top of the hill while the battle's going on below. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now, if I'm Joshua down in the battle, what am I saying? Get those hands up, Moses. Get your hand up. Like, I, I, Kenny, I sound like a middle school basketball coach, right? Get your hands up. I mean, that's all the middle school basketball coach says. Get your hands up, right, on defense. But if you didn't play basketball, you totally missed that. But get your hands up. As long as he had his hands up, he was winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up. This is a beautiful picture. It's an amazing picture. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands, Moses' hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite, Amalekite army with the sword. Now, Look at this, verse 14. Then the Lord, God speaks to Moses, and he says, write this on a scroll. This is interesting. Uh, this is really, as far as I can tell, the first time, it's not the only time, this is the first time God specifically tells Moses to write something down, right? Interesting, he doesn't tell him to write down what happened after the Red Sea event, which that was a, that was a pretty big event, right? I mean, like when the Red Sea opens up, children of Israel walk across on dry land, then it closes up. God doesn't even say write that down, but he tells Moses to write this down on a scroll, which tells us that there's probably something here that we need to get from this that could really, really help us. The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. That's always fascinating to me. Hey, make sure that Joshua hears it. Who was Joshua? Joshua was the military leader that just led the children of Israel to victory against the Amalekites. And one of the things that happens is as soon as we're on the hills of a great victory in our life, we're just prone for a big fall, aren't we? Because as soon as we experience some success, we, we begin to think that it was all about us. And, and God says through Moses, hey, make sure Joshua hears this. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. If you study scripture, the Amalekites are going to continue to attack. And ultimately, King David will completely destroy the Amalekites. Verse 15. This is so good. Verse 15 and 16 together. I always say this because I'm a, I'm a listener. Like, I listen to sermons, and I sit where you sit. It is hard to listen for 30 minutes. I get it. I know. Some of you want to say amen to that. And so, like, it's hard to remember a lot of things. And I know I'm always greedy for more points. Amy always tells me that. You're just greedy for points. And I, and I am. She's right. But this is, this is, a, this is, this is huge. This is huge right? Listen to what the Lord says and what, what Moses does. So this is what Moses is supposed to write down. And so Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner, uh, Jehovah Nissi. It means uh, God is my banner or my flag or the victorious one. That's why we raise a banner. We raise a banner in, in victory. He said this because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. Now, these two things, the Lord is my banner and hands were lifted up, are meant to be seen in contrast, right? Let me show you. These things are meant to be played against each other. And so what, what God is saying through Moses is, I want you to write this down, and I want you to declare to people that the Lord is a banner. Jehovah Nisi, I am a banner or like the Amalekites, they raise their hand. In the Hebrew, it literally says, they raise their fist against me. 
because that's what the Amalekites did. When the Amalekites, think about this, when the Amalekites came and attacked the children of Israel, let, let me just be honest, I don't want to be too crass here. This is really a stupid thing they did right? Think about it. Because they knew, they had heard about all that God did for the children of Israel in Egypt with all of the plagues. Literally, Egypt was completely destroyed by the plagues. I mean, they, they, would, have, they would have heard about the event at the Red Sea, and they would have heard how God completely destroyed the army of Egypt, and they were just a ragtag group of, of nomads in the desert. But they thought, somebody at least amongst that group thought, you know what? We could take those guys. Yeah, I know what all God did for him back there, but we got this. I know God completely destroyed the most powerful army in the world, uh, but we got, you know, Kenny back here is good with a sword. We'll roll him out. Like, how stupid is that? Like, all that God did, I mean, that's really dumb, isn't it? But, but they did, and they were raising their fist in arrogance and defiance against the Lord, and they were destroyed. And so here's the point. We'll look at it multiple times. You and I are either going to raise a banner or we're going to raise a fist. Does that make sense? We're going to see that in your life. I'm either going to raise a banner, and we're going to understand more of what that means, or I'm going to raise a fist against God. There really aren't any other options, okay? He said, because hands were lifted up, verse 16, we'll finish. Hands were lifted up, right? We're lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now, I want to share just uh, rather quickly with you today four principles about leadership from this story that I think can really make a difference in your life. Because if you're breathing, you're a leader. Can I say that to you again? If you're breathing, you're a what? You're a leader. You're influencing somebody. The question is not, am I a leader? The real question is, what kind of leader am I, right? How is my influence? Uh, am I making a difference in people's life? Well, here's four things from this story that you're going to see that are really key elements of great leadership, right? Number one, great leaders have a proper vantage point, Great leaders will always have a proper vantage point. That's why Moses in verse 10, Moses said, all right, I'm gonna grab Aaron and her and we're gonna go up and we're gonna, we're gonna get up on the hill. What was Moses doing? Moses was making sure he had a proper vantage point. He was gonna be able to see clearly what was, go what was going on. And listen, let me, just, let me just tell you, it doesn't matter if this is in business, in your spiritual life, in your family. If you don't see the situation clearly, you cannot lead clearly. Does that make sense? You need to have great vision. And so having great vision means you need to get get a proper vantage point. That's why Moses goes up on the hill. But really, what, what is that? Let, let's think about that for just a little bit. I, or how do I apply that in my life? Man, that, 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 I would agree with you, Pastor Brady. I, yeah, but, but how do you have a proper vantage point? I don't understand that. Well, let's talk about this. Now, here's the thing. Your vantage point, your vantage point allows you to see clearly and it's going to also allow others to see God clearly. That's what we're going we're gonna to show in just, just a few moments. But, but here's what the first thing about a vantage point. You need to be able to see the situation clearly. And what is that? You need to see life from God's perspective. Because in every situation in life, watch this, in, in any area where somebody's life is falling apart, I, I can guarantee you we can point to a fact that they, they didn't have God's vision in that situation. They didn't see that situation clearly. And so in, in your life, listen, we believe this about life. We believe this about life, that we're here uh, for our comfort, for our pleasure, for our own personal satisfaction. That's what we believe about life. And that's what you hear when you're down in the fight, right? That's what you'll hear from folks. But when you pull back and get a proper vantage point, we understand that we exist to bring God glory. That's why we're here. So I'm just telling you that in every situation, you need a 
proper vantage point, you need God's vision on that. So you've got to have to, you have to understand how you can go to the hill and pull away from the everyday and the voices all around you and see every situation the way God sees that situation. For your marriage, let me say this, in marriage, we also believe the same thing. We believe that marriage is about our satisfaction. We believe that marriage is about our ultimate happiness. And that's what we believe if we're down there on the floor in the battle. But that's not really true. When we pull back and we see uh, God's vantage point, when we see as God sees, we understand that marriage is gospel reenactment. The scripture tells me that I'm to love Amy as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that is a whole different vantage point. And so here's what every great leader will do. Every great leader, you show me a great leader, it's a person who has great vision. And what is great vision? Vision is seeing as God sees. And so Moses is really doing that. I, I think about this as a parent, man. My oldest son was in the, in the last service. I think about parenting. I, you know, I'm still a parent. I still have boys, but they've moved out of the house now, and one of them has two kids of his own. If I could go back and do it over again, I, I think I'd want a clear vantage point. I was so concerned about their behavior, really because I was so concerned as they were growing up about how people perceived me, right? Instead of really understanding, have a clear vantage point of realizing as a parent what God was doing, that God had a unique gifting in both of their lives. He had a bent that he had given them and that I could pull back and I could really see as God sees and then I could really parent toward that bent to help them be all that God had them to be and realize there were going to be some bumps and some bruises along the way. But I could have a clearer vision. I would have looked more and listened to them more, tried to understand them more. I, I, I would have done that, you see. But in every area of our life, even in your work, we think about our work. Well, you know what? I'm just going to get mine, and I'm in a difficult situation or a frustrating situation, and so, you know, it's just looking out for me and mine. Well, that, that's not really God's vision about work. The Bible tells us that we are to work as unto the Lord. So what's my point? In every single example, you have to ask your question, what's my vantage point? Am I really seeing this situation as God sees this situation? And that's why Moses going up on that hill, he's watching the battle. He has a clear vantage point, right? But that's not the only reason that he went up on that hill. Here's the second part, which is so important, and we get this wrong all the time. I want to say this, and it might be offensive to you. I hear people say this all the time. Probably three out of every four of you in this room might have said something like this. We say this, my faith is a private matter. No, it's not. That's not biblical. Your faith is a personal matter, but it's not a private matter. We're, we're not to, to live our faith out just privately. We're to live our life in such a way that others can see the goodness and the greatness of our God. And so when Moses goes up on that hill, he's not just going up on that hill so he can see what's going on down there. He's going up on that hill so the children of Israel could see him. You see that? Now, we, we, don't, we don't fully get that. We say, well, that's not me. I'm not that kind of guy. Well, listen, this isn't about drawing attention to you. This is about drawing attention to your God because what does Moses take up on that hill? You got to think with me. What does he take? You, the staff. He takes the staff. Now, let's think about it because we've been journeying through Exodus. That staff is this instrument that God uses to do amazing things. It turns the Nile to, to blood. It brings about all these plagues on the nation of Israel. It parts the Red Sea. It was a reminder of God's power and his presence and even God's judgment. And so as Moses is up there and he's holding the staff, as the children of Israel are down in battle and things aren't going well, and they could look up and they could see that staff, and it was a reminder to them of the power and the presence of God. And it was even a reminder of the judgment of God, like they saw that and they said, you know what? God completely judged the Egyptians and he's going to deal with these Amalekites as well. And so what's the point? We need to be men and women like that, that live our life in such a way that others can look at us. And, and, and whatever that is, whether that's a, in our profession, 
right, uh, or, or whether it's in a, a sports team or whether it's on social media, we've all been given a platform. And really that platform is allowing us to live in a way that others can see the goodness of God in our life when they're in the valley, you see? And that's why Paul said this in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He said, follow my examples. I follow the example of Christ. And so that, that's what Moses is doing is he's going up on the hill. He's going up on the hill so he can see clearly, and he's going up on the hill so others can see him clearly. I always tell moms and dads one of the greatest things you can do to start your day is let your kids catch you in the Word of God, right? It's just a platform, right, so that they can see that. It's an important thing. Let's look at the second thing. Great leaders realize this. Those of you watching online, hang with us. Great leaders realize that prayer is a matter of life and death. Right, we're going to see that in this story powerfully. But let me say something to a segment of folks, because I hear this a lot. I'm going to talk to a segment of folks, and what I'm about to say for some of you, you're going to be like, I don't think that way. Well, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to a, a separate segment of folks, and I hear this about prayer all the time. They say, you know what? I don't understand. You're, you're, you're talking about prayer and all this stuff. But listen, I, 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 believe, I believe that God knows the end from the beginning, that everything is preordained. God's going to do what God's going to do, and I'm not sure that my prayers are, are going to matter in the midst of that. Well, let me, let me tell you something. I'm, again, I'm talking to a segment of people. It's not your job to concern yourself with how your prayers mesh with the preordained providential plan of God. It is your job to pray right? That is way above your pay grade. It is not your job to try to figure out how those things mesh because Scripture is full of commands for us to pray. And listen, pray like what? Pray like history hangs in the balance. Can I say that to you again? If you want to be a great leader, show me a great leader. It's a man or woman who prays like history hangs in the balance, and that's what's going on with Moses, right? As long as Moses kept his hands up, what was, what was happening? They were winning, yeah. When they dropped those hands, they weren't. Listen, I think about that in my own life. What is the situation going on right now with someone in my life or a situation in my life? Am I really praying as if history hangs in the balance? Well, what would it be like if we did that? And so think about this. Praying like Moses is praying consistently. I mean, Moses prays from sunup to sundown. That's consistent prayer. The second thing, I mean, prayer is work, man. Prayer can be work. That's why in some, some sense we look at this and say, you know, Joshua had the tough job and Moses had the hard job. I'm not so sure. You ever tried to raise your hands over your head for more than five minutes? I mean, your shoulders are burning, right? This is hard work, what Moses did. Listen, prayer, real prayer is hard work. I love this, Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. By the way, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says to devote ourselves to prayer. So that tells us prayer is a pretty, pretty good deal, important deal. But look at 4.12. Listen to what Paul says. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, meaning he's just a member of the church at Colossae, he sends greetings. Listen to what Paul says about Epaphras. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. I love that. Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer. Anybody here help me out? Anybody here was a high school wrestler? Anybody wrestle in high school? Any show of hands? Yeah, yeah. We could bring you guys up, y'all, right, side by side. We're both high school wrestlers. Let's do this. That'd be awesome, right? Let's shake everything up. Yeah. Well, let me just say this about wrestlers. Wrestlers and swimmers have to be the most in-shape athletes there are. I mean, it's unbelievable. Have you, ever, have you ever wrestled? I mean, it's exhausting. Now, some of you think about my wife. Some of you think, my wife, well, Amy seems so sweet. Well, she's, she's not, really. I mean, all the time. Here's what I, what I mean. I have two boys, right? And uh, when my boys, when they turn like 14, 15, 16, here's what happens in the life of a boy and their dad. At some point, they want to try to take their dad. I mean, it's not like they're being vindictive or evil, or bad. they're just like, they're just thinking, I got you. I can take you. Let's go. And so my boys would do that. They would say, come on, dad, let's go. Let's wrestle. I'm like, man, I don't want to wrestle you. No, come on, let's wrestle. And most wives would say, hey, leave your dad alone. My wife would be like, no. 
Let's go. Come on, Dad. You can take him. She starts moving furniture. Like if you came to our house today and one of my, and one of my boys, and I, I promise you, if one of my boys said, let's go, old man, she would say, yeah, go. Let's go. You can do it. And like she's still my girl, right? She's still my girl. And I, I, I want to impress her. So I'm like, I'll do it. I'll jump in there. And here I'm wrestling. I'm 50 years old. I'm wrestling. And after about 20 seconds, it feels like I'm going to die. <laughs> Have you done that? I mean, I was a baseball player, not an athlete. I mean, I ran maybe a quarter of a mile of a whole season, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm telling you, that's true, right? Most of that was just back to the dugout. But anyways, wrestling is hard work. And what's the point? Prayer is hard work. We have to contend in prayer. We have to be willing to wrestle in prayer. And that's what Moses does. You have to pray like history hangs in the balance. It's an important thing. You have to involve others in your prayer. Like that, that's what Moses does with Aaron and her. He involves others in that. One of the greatest things I love about the small group of guys that I'm in is just ungroup me just throughout the week. And they're just sending stuff out that's going on in their life. And, and we just get to join together and, and just pray for pray for each other, involving others. One of the guys this past week, man, he sent a, he sent a text and he said, uh, pray for my boy. It's his first year to play ball and it's a rec league championship game. His team's undefeated. He said, it looks like he's on deck now. He's about to come up to bat with the bases loaded. His team's down. And so we're praying for the, for the guy. And I'm thinking, man, I wish my dad would have done that for me. I'd have had such a different career if that happened, you know. <laughs> But sometimes it's when somebody is, is battling a diagnosis. It's sometimes somebody lost a job. Sometimes somebody's going through a difficult situation. Sometimes their boy is just about to come up to bat with the bases loaded. And other people contending in prayer for them. I, I want us to be a church like that, man. We just contend with each other. We invite each other into what's going on. And we pray like history hangs in the balance. Wouldn't that be an amazing place to be where we really believe that about prayer? Now, let me tell you something about prayer. Prayer doesn't eliminate the fight, Right, that's what we do in church a lot of times. People say, that, well, I'll pray for you, which means we'll just kind of throw one up on the way out, just a simple uh, Hail Mary, and that, that's it. Prayer doesn't eliminate the fight. It just paves the way for the victory. Does that make sense? Like when somebody asks you, somebody asks you to pray for them, many times God will want to use you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in that situation, not just to pray for them, but to minister to them in that situation. Charles Spurgeon said this. This is an amazing quote, man. It's kind of hard to fully understand for me. He says, prayer is a downright mockery if it does not lead us to the practical use of means likely to promote the ends to which we pray. You know, if somebody calls and you know, th th this happened. Th th this happened yesterday for us. I mean, somebody that Amy is contending with in prayer has a has a has a, a financial need, and and so she's just doing something just on Venmo, just sending some cash. I'm not saying that to make her look good or, or anything. I, I'm just saying that's a, a situation. Sometimes it's going to be that. It's not just praying for somebody that, but it's just using the means that God's given you with your time, talent, of resources to to meet that need in some way right? Because in this story, Moses is on the hill praying, and what's Joshua doing? He's in the valley fighting, right? And so that's a great picture of, of prayer. Let's look at the third thing. We're moving through this pretty quickly. Everybody still okay? You guys had a long weekend, didn't you? had a big re retreat here. So you guys still up? You go okay? That's the thing about college students. Don't tell me you can't stay awake. You're up to like two every morning. Like you, you can do this. You got that. That may be why you can't, anyways, maybe why you can't be awake now. Here we go. Great leaders do this. Great leaders prioritize community. Like Moses has Aaron and her. And I want to move through this rather quickly because we talk about community a lot here. And I think you guys sort of check out. And we say something here. Sometimes preachers like me say some things on this. We kind of stretch this a little bit. And we make you feel like the only time you can have community is if you're in a small group here at New Vision. That's just not true. We believe a way that you can find community is inside a small group, but it's not the only way. 
right? But, but, but what is community? I think you see it in this story. Community is somebody who will contend with you, who will hold your hands up throughout the day when you're weary and discouraged. And that's what Aaron and her did for Moses. But now here's the thing. Here's the thing that I hear all the time from people. Let me just ask you this. Please play along with me. Do you have an Aaron and her in your life? Do you have somebody when you're weary and discouraged, they will contend with you from morning till night? Now, now listen, listen, this is a distinction. Many people would say, you know, yeah, I've got friends like this. Now, watch this, watch this. I'm not saying you don't, but I want you to understand this. It's not somebody who will just hang with you and just be with you through a difficult time. It's also somebody who will go to the hill with you. And what do I mean go to the hill? It is somebody who will help you see God's perspective in the midst of that situation, right? Because a lot of times we'll have people who'll hang with us, but they'll tell us their perspective on a situation, right? They'll give us their two cents worth in that situation. But true biblical community is somebody who'll go to the hill with us and contend with us, hang with us, encourage us, but also speak truth to us, truth from God's word. That's a, a little bit of a different thing. And so... I'm asking this question, do you have an Aaron or her in your life? If you don't, listen, life is going to happen to you. It's gonna to happen to you. I mean, I, I, I look out, many of you here I know, and I know your story and you know my story. Life happens. If you don't have an Aaron and a her to contend with you, it's not gonna end well. But here's the question I ask, and I wanna kind of flip this just a little bit and then we're gonna move on to the final point, right? Watch this. Here's what I hear people say. How do I find someone like that? In other words, how do I find an Aaron and a her? Like I've, found, I've, I've, I've gone to seven different small groups. No Aaron or her there. You know how you find somebody like that? You become someone like that first. You become an Aaron or you become a her, right? You contend with somebody. You have some folks already in your life and you love them the way the Lord Jesus is calling you to love with them. You're willing to hang with them from morning at night. You're willing to go to the hill with them. You're willing to give them God's perspective on a situation. And let me tell you something. If you're an Aaron or a her, listen, God will bring some Aaron and hers into your life. I promise you that. It's an important thing because it's not enough to have deep commitment or deep conviction. It's not enough just to believe the right things. You need deep connections that are found in community. That's a super important thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, and then I want to move on, move on. It's in maybe the greatest book ever written, one of the great, not outside of the Bible. The cost of discipleship that Bonhoeffer wrote is unreal. But, but he said this. He said, sin demands to have a man by himself. That's God's plan for you. Always isolation, always separation. You understand that? That's a fact. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will the power of sin be over him you got to have an Aaron or a her. Because let me tell you something, community alters history. It's fascinating. I'm watching you. This is my fourth time to preach this message. When I made the statement, prayer alters history, people nod and people say amen to that. I mean, you did just a few moments ago. I made the statement. I said, prayer alters history, and you're like, yes. The fourth time to preach this message, everything, every single time I say community alters history, it's like crickets. But It's true right? We're made to live in community with, with others. It's such an important part. This story goes down different, doesn't it? If Moses is there by himself, he's not able to hold his hands up throughout this whole battle, and the children of Israel would have lost the battle. Now, think about this, and this is, I mean, this is going to kind of wig you out just a little bit. There was a lot riding in this battle. 
because embedded in the DNA of the covenant people fighting on that battlefield was none other than our Messiah, Jesus Christ. So there was a lot. Now, I know God's sovereign. He's going to bring the I, I, I get that. But listen, history was hanging in the balance. Do you see that? And community altered history. Isn't that cool? What about you in your life? Right? Community will alter history. Now, let's look at the fourth and final thing. You ready? You got three minutes? Okay. We're going to keep you there anyways. Um, this is it. You show me a great leader, I'll show you somebody who has a proper vantage point. They see as God sees. You show me a great leader, I'll show you somebody who prays as if it's a matter of life and death. You show me it's a great leader, I'll show you somebody who prioritizes community in their, in their life, right? Um, you show me a great leader, I'll show you somebody, watch this, who on a daily basis raises a banner, not raises a fist, you show me a great leader, I'll show you somebody who raises a banner, not a fist. Now, what do we mean? Look what the scripture says back at verse 15. We're almost done. Hang in. This is so important. Moses built an altar. God says, write this down and, and, and name it, the Lord is my banner. God is my banner. Flag. He's a flag of victory over me. He said, because, here's the opposite of that, because of the Amalekites, because hands were lifted up against the Lord. Raise a banner, the Amalekites raised a fist. And the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. I think one of the things that we don't see in this, I tried to bring it out a few moments ago, I don't, I don't think we see the stupidity in what the Amalekites did, right? I don't think we see. I, th I, think, I, think, I think the Scripture wants us to hang here just a moment. I mean, when God steps in and intervenes in the way he intervenes in the life of the children of Israel, literally destroying Egypt with all of the plagues, with all of the signs, parting the Red Sea, just leading them out of captivity in such an amazing way, I mean, Finally, the Egyptians said, God's with them, right? I mean, everybody could look and say, you know what? God is doing something among this covenant people. And here are the Amalekites. are like, I don't care. We got this. It's really dumb. Raising a fist. Here's the point. Raising a fist against the power and sovereignty of God is not a good battle plan. Never. But let's just kind of close with an understanding of what it means to raise a banner. I remember when I was in elementary school, I was laughing about this over the weekend. The name of my elementary school, true story, Nanny Smithberry, like nanny, like grandma. Nanny Smithberry Elementary School, where the fighting grandmas, it's pretty tough. And so I remember, about, that was back in the day you went to kindergarten through sixth grade. But well, like when you were in sixth grade, you were like the man, right? Or the her, the woman. Um, anyways, you missed that. It, it took you a while. But there were like two jobs you could get as sixth graders that were awesome. One, and I, this first one is like, I still can't believe they did that. There was a crossing guard. You got to be crossing guard. You got this, you remember that? Like this killer vest you got to wear. It had like a badge, like a literal metal badge. I mean, and, and you, you got to go out and you got to stop traffic because most of the people at my school walked because it was just in the neighborhood, everybody walked. So you got to, you walked out in, in, in Indian Lake Road in Hendersonville, Tennessee. You stopped traffic like a sixth grade boy. Whose idea was that? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> like, oh, that's, don't do that. But we did. Like, you're a crossing guard. You stop traffic. You bring your friends across. Ladies, come on, guys. Step back there. Wait. But then the other job that was just choice, man, was the, was, was the, the flag duty. And you, you got, there's like three or four folks that every day you raise the flag in front of your elementary school. You got to go out. You got to unfold the flag. You got to hook the flag up. And you got to raise the flag. Every day. Like the whole school said the Pledge of Allegiance. You're out there you're raising the flag. At night, that afternoon when school was out, took the flag down, folded up. You did the same thing. That was a serious deal. Like you took such pride in that, raising the flag every day. You know, so, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a point there. 
I think what God is saying here is he's saying, you know what, let, 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 let's think about this. This is why I want you to write this down, Moses. You're either going to raise a flag or you're going to raise a fist. And what was true for people living 3,400 years ago when this story takes place is still true today. In your life, in my life, the choice we have is to raise a flag or to raise a fist. You know, here's three things that raising a flag means. It's not that there isn't more, but it's three, and then we'll be done. When we raise a flag or raise a banner, what does it mean? Number one, I live under its authority. That's what it means. When I raise a flag or raise a banner, it means I live under its authority. And watch this, watch this. Any area of my life that I'm choosing not to live under the authority of the Word of God is me raising a fist to God. It's like the Amalekites. And now here's what this story demands. This story really demands us to look at it and look at the Amalekites and think, did you really think? Like, you thought you could go toe-to-toe with them after what God just did to the Egyptians? What were you thinking? That is stupid. But if we fast-forward it, we think about living under or outside the authority of God and our morality, you know, in our thought life and unforgiveness toward other people, not stewarding our body, our finances, well, in any area of our life that we're living outside the will of God, we're raising a fist to God. It's not wise. That's what the Scripture is saying. So raising a banner means I live under its authority. Secondly, it means I fight for his kingdom. That's what it means. When a soldier goes into battle, as has a flag, or she has a flag, they're on their uniform, and they're fighting for their country. But can I tell you something? When we raise a banner in our lives on a daily basis, it means we're fighting for the kingdom of God. We're, we're fighting for his rule and reign in the hearts and lives of people, that it matters that there is a real war going on. Do you understand that today? Maybe today we see that there is a battle going on for the hearts and lives of people, and you've been called into the battle with your time, talents, and resources. And when you raise a banner in your life on a daily basis, part of what it means is I'm fighting for the kingdom. And there's so many ways to do that. But listen, if I don't do that, then what am I, what am I doing? I'm ultimately fighting for my kingdom. I'm defending my kingdom. And so what am I doing? I'm raising a, help me, fist. Because you'll either raise a banner or you'll raise a fist. Lastly, what does raising a banner mean? Um, it means it will praise him for his victories. Because that's, what, that's part of a, what, what, what raising a banner means. It means God is victorious. That's what Moses had to tell Joshua. So Joshua didn't think that he won the battle, that God won the battle. You, some of you know my wife had, had COVID, so I was quarantined. I came through all my quarantine. I tested negative, so don't treat me like a leper today. Um, but I was home. I was home during the National League and American League Championship Series, which meant I got to watch the Atlanta Braves, my favorite team since I was a small child, play in the National League Championship Series. They were up three games to one. I was already, I mean, I'll have to be honest, I was already gone on a website and looked for World Series tickets because, like, the Braves were one game away from winning the pennant. That's what you call it in baseball. When you win the National League Championship or you win the American League Championship, you win a pennant, which is actually a banner that they hang in your stadium for the rest of time, right? You see? It's there. Mookie Betts stole that away from the Atlanta Braves. It's his fault. Nashville native, Overton High School. But anyways, that's a whole other deal. Let me tell you something. Can I tell you some great news today? Listen, 
Can I tell you some great news today? That banner's already been raised. King Jesus, think about this. Three guys on a hill in this story, Moses, Aaron, and Hur. Does it remind you of anything? Does it remind you of three guys on a hill later in the story? It sure kind of reminds me of Jesus, a thief to his left and to his right. And Joshua's on the battlefield. Joshua, Yeshua, God saves. Joshua's on the battlefield, and he won the victory, defeated the Amalekites. Can I tell you something? Then there was a banner raised up. King Jesus has defeated sin. He has defeated death, and a banner has been raised. Do you believe that today? There's been a banner that's been raised. Now, the real question is, will you, in some ways, will you raise that banner in your life, right? I'll come under its authority. I'll fight for his kingdom. And I'll praise him for his victory. That's what it means. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we praise you. And I just wonder today, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, first of all, we thank you for the victory that you have won. You are Jehovah Nissi. But Father, today, perhaps folks watching online or maybe some folks here all their life, they've raised a fist, not intentionally, not even realizing it, but they have completely lived for themselves. They call the shots of their life. They trust in their goodness. They trust in their righteousness. They trust in their wisdom and discernment. And and Father, they have never come under your banner, never trusted in the victory that you have won to be their victory. And so today, by faith, I'm praying that there are folks here that will trust Christ and trust Christ alone and come under the banner to raise a banner today by faith, to raise that banner to King Jesus today personally in their own life. Lord, we pray for that. Lord, for believers today, that we in every area of our life would come under your authority. Lord, that we would fight for your kingdom, that we would be a people that raises a banner, not raises a fist. Lord, for the good of our lives and our families and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.